1: A few weeks ago, we shared that House Bill 687, also known as the Hidden Predator Act of 2019, was being sponsored by C.T. Wilson. House Delegate Wilson's bill would end Maryland's statute of limitations for civil claims against perpetrators of child sexual abuse and would also include a two-year look-back window a time which victims could bring claims in cases where the previous statute of limitations has expired. If you've seen The Keepers, you will remember Delegate Wilson speaking on his experience as a survivor and how hard it is to pass laws that the Archdiocese fights against. This week we want you to hear Delegate Wilson's speech, as well as the back and forth in Annapolis, Maryland in March, at the Judicial Proceedings Committee. One in four girls and one in six boys are sexually abused in the United States. And to this day, most still have not disclosed their abuse publicly.
0: Thank you, Mr. Chair. Note that the panel is not here to talk. They're here for questions. As we discussed earlier, I understand that this is the city. You guys don't want, you want basically sponsor only. So they're here for questions because as you well know, there are some legal issues that have arisen. So these are all people that are just here to any questions we might have after the presentation if that's okay. So I have with me, uh, Claudia Remington, Catherine Robb, and Wendy Lane. And I just want to acknowledge, thank you, Dave Lorenz, and for the survivors that have come to hear this hearing. Again, excuse me if I'm a little disheveled. This is morphed into something uh, a lot bigger than I thought it was going to be when we first presented. But I know when I first spoke with the House a few weeks ago, I, I said I was presenting this House Bill 687 to write a pass wrong. And I'd said that because at the time I, um, had worked very hard on a bill for years, and many of you were either in the House, some of you all were in the Senate, and you'd heard my presentation year after year, giving my personal story, not even getting a vote in either House or the Senate. And so by the third year, I was exhausted. I'd had a lot of individuals come and testify, and I was tired of seeing people go through that. So I did what I thought was the right thing to do, and I worked with, with individuals, including the Catholic Church, to try and craft a bill that everybody could be happy with and we could get through. And at the time, I didn't realize that gross negligence burden that was placed on individuals between 25 and 38 was a very high burden, simply, and it was hard for them to go forward. Now, that alone, that was, but what really got my attention was, and I just want to give me a minute to talk about some of the other things that that passed through my mind, including the key schools, 20 years of sexual abuse and misconduct from the 70s through the 90s. 18 former students were victims. One 14-year-old girl, this is, had to have a, became pregnant and had to have an abortion because of a child sex abuse. Landon's, the Landon School, it was a Washington Post. Archdiocese of Washington, 31 clergy members, credible, credibly accused of sex abuse with minors from 1948 onwards, including Cardinal McCarrick, who had to step down. Larry Nasser, we've all heard, that was a gentleman from a state university. R. Kelly, we've heard that one. What really caught my eye was the Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report. 300 priests in six dioceses that they investigated and implicated, but others they couldn't find. And I read through that report, and it was roughly 900 pages. Thank you, Claudia. The way that they was, even the FBI was surprised at how well this was hidden. Poorly was documented. Priests were raping children and moving the priest around so they could have a new playground. Never told the police. The FBI said they knew they were doing it. knew how they were doing it. They just don't know how much they were doing it. It was being done on their own property. And to the end, over a half a million pages of discovery was finally turned over. Having to do with child sex abuse from the Catholic Church. People raped in places of worship and schools. People that weren't doing it but were aware. But it was the odious stories. A predator priest taking photographs of little boys while they stand in the crucifix position, telling that they're posing to be for statues, having them take off their underwear, taking Polaroids, or when they provided golden crosses to certain little boys that were victimized. Because you know what? That was that was it wasn't just a gift to keep them quiet. It was to let other priests know that this was a soft subject. This was a victim. He'd already been groomed. That's when I realized that it wasn't enough. Raping a seven-year-old little girl while she was supposed to be getting her tonsils taken out of the hospital. Forcing a little boy to provide oral sex and then washing his mouth out with holy water. And that's Pennsylvania. That's right up the road. Little boy drank some juice or wine at a priest's house and woke up with a bleeding rectum. See, this is the FBI report. This isn't something I'm making up. So whoever comes up after me and says, yeah, but not Maryland, we touch. People call me from California saying, yeah, you've been a dumping ground for generations. Because they know they can get away with stuff in Maryland. This is not an attack on the Catholic Church. Because believe me, I'm not Catholic and you've heard my personal story. But if they want to fight, I'll be damned if I don't fight back. See, it was brought to my attention that I would made a deal with the devil, and I did not know how much I did. Because while I'm sitting there negotiating with the church, trying to get something we could both realize, and I realized, unfortunately, that burden that I set was a little high. What I didn't realize is something many of you here didn't realize either. It's called the statute of repose. Many of you were here. I'm sure no one knows what that means. However, in our 2017 bill, and you might hear some testimony, because I was shocked to hear it, on the third reader, or excuse me, second reader in the House, Billable the wrote a memorandum of law about some language that was snuck into our 2017 bill that pretty much would exonerate the Catholic Church in perpetuity from any retroactive activity. That's how deceitful this is. This isn't our bill, our language. Somehow amended in. And then used in defense knowing that was never the intent of anybody in this letchley I'm glad that people are here today and you don't have them testify, because I'm really tired of seeing people put themselves through that. I know how emotionally painful it is, how destructive it is to myself, my family, and my mental and physical health. So I'm very grateful that they can sit back there and they don't have to talk again. Thank you. But it's time we stop looking and say, you know what, if we do this for these guys, then well, what about the builders? Do you understand that this is child sex abuse? The average age for even reporting is 52. I didn't even start dealing with mine. I was a combat soldier. I had killed people and I couldn't deal with my childhood. I got through law school before I finally woke up. Cause you know what? I had a child. And that's when it dawns on most of us. When we see a child seven years old, and we see the mannerisms. And we see ourselves. And what was taken. This is definitely not a pity me story. Because I, I don't care. Because right now the Senate. Interesting love. It's on a neat little precipice. Of historic proportions. Because you know why? Clearly. The statute of a repose. Which you may here argue. Is the whole only constitutionalist. You could possibly have. Clearly that was not the intent of the House, and I don't believe it was the intent of the Senate. But that language inserted creates a constantly protected and vested right for child predators and in the institutions that harbor them. Currently, that's the way they argue the bill. But see, it's been brought to light now. And the House did act, because it was defend- they were argued on the floor, and it was slapped down 135 to 3, because that was never our intent ever. Look at the language in 2017. Many of you were here. Ask yourself, was the statute of repose ever discussed? I'll tell you what it is because I didn't know and I still really don't get it. But it's a construction law. And I mean that in for people who are in the art of uh, constructing buildings. It protects them from claims in perpetuity because in again, and there are p- experts smarter than me here, but the reason we know that it doesn't fit no, it's because it's construction is because the way that law, the statute works is from the moment you turn the building over from the moment you complete the restoration, from the moment you've developed the product and you turn it over. That's when it starts running because our legislators said we don't want people to be held 30 and 40 years down the road for faulty building for mistakes in development. We give them a little time, but it doesn't start on the injury. The time does not start tolling on the injury. It's on an act of the defendant. We have there's case law. We have a memorandum of law. If you please read it, it makes it very clear how this could never be a statute of repose, even if that's what the word said, because the intent of the legislator was not a statute of repose because it acts on the injury. That's what a statute of limitations does. Please read the law. It's very clear. It's very duplicitous that they were snuck into a bill that this body put out in 2017. And then used in our face, like from this point on, you have to exonerate us from any past wrongdoings. Retroactively, you can't come after us. But even more, you should be somewhat patly offended that they're telling you that you've tied the hands of that in 2017. We've tied your hands. Because there's no law that we should be writing here to prevent future legislatures from doing their job. But that's what's being told today. I'm not here on a witch hunt. I've done my research. You hear You're going to continue to hear it. I don't matter what ha- happens today, you're going to hear tomorrow, a month from now, other states that are discovering horrible acts of perdition. We always talk about being one Maryland and how we're going to be the forefront. How can we not protect our children? And I'll say lastly, it's not about revenge. The reason the statute, the window, the two-year look-back window was so important For example, in California, because of that two-year look-back window, 300 additional predators were found. And know this, they don't stop at 30 and 40. They go all the way up until their 80s. We have a compelling state interest. This is a compelling state interest to protect our children from predators that are still out there, that will only be discovered, unfortunately, by lawsuit. I know I do a lot here in the state house. Inappropriate. I have a short temper, and I don't have a lot of friends. I had a tough childhood. But I don't want my legacy on that 2017 bill to be that we protected this church and we protected the wrongdoers and the predators infinitum, that they never have to pay for anything they did in the past. That is not just. That is not right. It's not why I ran for office, and I never want that to be my legacy. I know it's tough because I'm sure that this is, we always worry about the nose under the tent of the camel or the nose under the camel and his nose under the tent, all that nonsense. But that's why we're here. We create laws as we go. I asked for your support in House Bill 687. I would love to have any questions because what I would love more than ever, win or lose, is for the bill to get a vote. With the people to stand behind me, that feel that their voice is heard, even if you disagree. Because we all deserve that. Questions?
1: In our ongoing journey dissecting real-life mysteries, I've found a perfect companion in a game that not only captivates but also lets me step into the shoes of a detective in the glamorous 1920s, June's Journey. As someone who's delved deep into the game, playing through the intriguing scenarios of June Parker, I can personally vouch for its immersive experience. In June's Journey, you unravel the mystery of June Parker's sister's murder. Each scene is a visual and intellectual puzzle, with hidden clues scattered across beautifully crafted locations. What I've enjoyed most is the depths of the storyline. Each chapter peels back a layer of this thrilling narrative, revealing danger, mystery, and romance. Besides the allure of solving mysteries, the game lets you design and customize your own luxurious estate island. Building my estate has been a delightful escape offering a creative break from the intense narratives we tackle on the podcast. For those of you who enjoy the blend of history, mystery, and narrative depth we explore on this podcast, June's Journey offers a chance to live out those elements in a beautifully interactive setting. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android, and join me in this ongoing quest to uncover hidden truths and solve complex mysteries.
2: When was the last time that you guys can all take a seat? What what time? When was the last time that we did, if any, for you? Because I remember when I was in the house, this bill first came up. That's a while ago. We did a two year look back then. Does anybody remember the date? That, that was which, the Dolby
0: Road case, was where it was tested. I think it was a two thousand three, two thousand seven. So we had passed.
2: Remind me, we, we passed the law back then. That was that the year that we did the seven year statute limitation. I just don't remember. I mean, the time. It was
0: either five or seven. I know it was an increase. 2003, and it was a, but I know that the statute of limitations was increased and the courts found that our intent was a look back window, even if it wasn't specified in the. That was, put
2: my second question was, I just, I don't, I, it was, I was a freshman legislator. So the, uh, in the house, what, um, was it specified in the law, a two year look back in the. Uh, I don't remember was specified though. in the
0: law, but court: right? but, but the way it was th- because a young lady in the Roe v. Doe case. The courts found that, it, it, that our intent was to have applied red. Okay.
2: Anyway, my uh, so there was in two thousand three a two year window. There was never.
0: It was never. It was put in the bill. It was taken out in writing. However, the courts found that even though Miss Road filed, there was a delay in her filing. I believe that they allowed her to do it. What?
3: So, I believe there was. It was in the bill. It was taken out and. There was an Attorney General opinion or letter back then to Chairman Frosch saying that this was unclear that the constitutionality was unclear it could go either way and that there's notation in the AG letter of this year to Delegate Dume in the footnote that says that the AG the Assistant AG Catherine Rowe gave the same advice to Chairman Frosch that um, it was unclear. Uh, the constitutionality could be upheld. So they, the courts had not decided on it at that point. But at that point, it was amended out of the bill. So we have, as far as I know, after that, I don't believe there was a look back yeah. window. And, and, they've tried to put a look back and there, there
0: a, The reason that at first when I filed the bill, I, I wasn't that wasn't as important until I realized it would happen in California. And again, the overarching goal really is not about vengeance or even a voice at this point. It's making sure that there are others out there, we can get them. Not made by others predators.
2: There's uncodified language in Chairman Frosh. Is it Frosh's? Hold on.
0: Sorry. Right. That's the old bill. The bill that...
2: Kelly's bill. Two thousand. <laughs> it was Delors Kelly's bill, 2000. But the
0: unclassified language I was discussing was a 2017 language. How does that read? It, it's very convoluted. So I believe we provided some documentation. Some, but I know it was fairly convoluted.
3: The question is 2017.
0: Is that yeah? Mary, the- what's the what? What is the? Yeah, I'm looking. And I know the, the intent Senate
3: chapter was 656.
0: And the intent at that point was not to be retroactive. We had agreed. That we we're just, and we agreed, and there was no discussion. We agreed at that time that we were trying to make it retroactive. We weren't opening up a look back window. I wouldn't know where he I'm not in judiciary, so keep brief judiciary, but everybody I talked to in judiciary said they had no idea, especially in regards to the statute of repose, how it got there. Yeah. And I'd never I, as, again, as I, we talked about, I'd never heard about the statute of repose until the day before we were going to argue this bill, including any briefing. I'll say this. I was never briefed by the chairman. I'm not on that committee, so I'm not sure. But I know whether we debated the bill on the House floor. Nobody mentioned the House, the statute of repose. When we discussed the bill, when they discussed in the committee from every com- committee member I spoke with, including Delegate Adairi, who's now the vice chair, there was never any recollection explaining uh, that what a statute of repose was or how would, in fact, create what I guess they argue is a vested right. And so that was very unintentional by anybody I've spoken with, and yourself included, Mr. Chair. I know we've discussed this. We were discussing, we were learning about statute of repose together a few days ago. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I was just going to say that somebody intended that the word statute of repose be mm-hmm. in this amendment. As I'm looking at the original amendment dating from a couple of years ago, Amendment number one says, insert, quote, establishing a statute of repose and continues. And then further down, it specifically says, it talks about statute of repose. Um, I I don't disagree that somebody and somebody clearly because it wasn't those letters didn't fall together on accident. Yeah. The point is no legislator that I have spoken with has. And that's, again, where my frustration comes in, because we're always told about what trust committee process. Yeah. And also we look at the codified language usually, you know, quickly before we vote on a bill. So I hope it's not going to be our worry now that we have to read every single point of every bill as it goes through the House and Senate to make sure nothing's being snuck in, especially the antithesis of what I was trying to do, because the statute of repose, which again isn't properly placed, it's not, it's legal fiction in this setting, is an opposite of what I was trying to do. I'm trying to provide voice for the victims, not shut them down. I so knowing you. that snuck in, and I will say surreptitiously, because that's my bill. I can say that. Yeah. Clearly, it's your bill. Right. So um, cl- I so, did not, again. But you weren't a member of the Judiciary Committee. I was not. In between the time that you finished testifying and the time it arrived on the floor, that amendment had been added by the Judiciary Committee. Somebody wrote it, and then the committee obviously voted in favor of it. I didn't see it on the House side. Yeah. I'll be honest with you, and we. Po- I've got... We poured through every little bit of paperwork that we have, any amendments, anything going through. And again, I know because I know the players that I'm dealing with. That I don't know who I don't know who put it in it because unfortunately, when they put amendments in, I could say I wanted in. Senator Westman dropped me this amendment. Yeah. So, again, the point being, if nobody intended to do it, I'm not an investigator. I don't really care how it was done. Right. Or at this point, I can tell you why it was done clearly. But it wasn't the intent of the people, and therefore they had defrauded the body and the citizens of this state. Got you. Thank you.
4: Yes. yes. Briefly. I'm yes. Sorry. Briefly. Yep. yep, very briefly. First of all, thank you, chairman and committee members. Just a couple of things about the language within that uncodified. If you look to even Black's Dictionary, a statute of repose is triggered by an event. Or an action of the defendant. For example, you can look to your own statute here in the state of Maryland. It 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 is something like the completion of a construction project or putting a pro- product into the stream of commerce. It's triggered by an action of the defendant, and or alleged defendant. And I might add that even in the letter in the venerable brief on page. Two, they say the same thing, that it is the event or action by the defendant. But if you look to the language in the uncodified language piece, it is an act essentially by the plaintiff. That act would be simply reaching the age of majority. Now, I know that Delegate Wilson also touched on the fact that historically, across the country and as well as here in the state of Maryland, that statute of repose have been used for, for two types of cases, construction cases and products liability cases. Occasionally you'll find in a state a medical malpractice and they have exceptions there. So not only is it not the typical language and contrary to something as simple as Black's Dictionary, but it is also historically not used in these types of cases which I think speaks to the ambiguous nature and the clandestine appearance of that, which made it hard for Delegate Wilson and many others to fully appreciate that language. Thank you.
3: Thank you. It's my first time hearing the bill. And there's a lot of letters of support here. I was just curious on the green letter from the the Office of the Public Defender, and they don't take a stance, but they just point out that there's two two possible changes that would have to do with, like, teenagers sexting each other. Yeah, I've had
0: to curse them out already because, yes, they're not wrong. I just wish they have caught it before it left the House because I, we're, our goal is not to entrap people. Yeah, I know that. So, we're, and unfortunately, yes, this is the past Senate, and they would have to come back to the House because those are changes that we don't disagree with. I understood. We don't want it. To, and I think we've discussed
3: well, actually, not the ch- exact changes that they had, but really, if you had it, look at the current bill in the House form, if we just put in on page two, line um, six, adult, yeah. an adult allowing or encouraging a child, Which that would take care of the issues that the public. We had a discussion with the public defender. I think he's still here.
0: And he for person that. of a majority. We spoke, it spoke with the guy from the PD's office. Unfortunately, they didn't bring it to us because it's a valid, it's, it's fairly nuanced and small.
3: Yeah,
0: it really is. Chances of you suing somebody for the kid, but again, we're trying to get good legislation, so I understand that. So, so, so
4: will you be submitting an amendment or can
0: okay? Well, it's basically, yeah, it's basically if you look at two line six. Because it doesn't spec- specify adult or person of majority allowing or encouraging. They're worried that it could be used against children. And that's that's never the goal. To have a child induced another child to s- sex and, uh, yeah.
4: I, I don't want to clarify. I'm in full support of the bill. So, <laughs> I just I'm just understand. curious about that one. No, no. That's no we, uh,
0: yeah, that's the goal. isn't. It's, that's not the goal. I know. So if you'd like to amendment, Mr. Chair, I'd be more than happy to.
2: We just had an entire bill hearing on, on this issue. Cause there are, there is a court of appeals special yeah. appeals case related to this. Not quite.
0: You the guys, of, was it a Senate bill or a House bill? Cause I put in a House bill. I, I don't think it made it out. I put in a House bill cause I didn't, I thought the law was ambiguous in it. I didn't want to entrap children in sexting either.
2: Yeah. It was specifically on that issue. I yeah.
0: i had a bill in the house too. Maybe it will get out.
2: All right. Any other questions? We are going to hear from the opposition now. Mr. Silver, Carrie Silverman. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, members
5: of the committee. My name is Carrie Silverman. I'm here today on behalf of the American Tort Reform Association, which is a group of associations, businesses, nonprofit organizations, and municipalities in Washington, D.C., here, a national group. I commend the committee for considering this legislation and doing what it can to protect children and the sponsor for his advocacy today and the many victims that are here in support of this bill. I do want to express our concerns with this bill as we would with any type of legislation that would completely eliminate a statute of limitations and revive time-barred claims. It's unprecedented in Maryland law to completely get rid of a statute of limitations. For any type of claim, we have statutes of limitations there. They're not based, they may be viewed as arbitrary, they may be viewed as unfair, they often are in individual cases. After all, you are taking away the ability of a person who may have a viable claim of the ability to bring that claim, and we all want to have everyone have their day in court, but we still have these statutes of limitations in place for any kind of action, and it's, we have a statute of limitations that's finite, whether it's a, a wrongful death case involving a child who was killed, whether it's a toxic tort case where someone develop cancer and die because of someone else's misconduct, drunk driving cases. Every kind of case, usually it's three years from adulthood. In some other cases, we've made it five or even 10 years. And it's based on the kind of evidence involved. It's not based on the type of injury involved, how tragic it is. It's usually not based on the kind of conduct that's involved, no matter how horrible it is. It's based on the kind of evidence involved. It's there so that To protect not just defendants, but it's there to protect the courts and to make sure that judges and juries, when they're deciding principles of liability, whether someone or an organization did something right or did something wrong or didn't do enough, that they do it with the best evidence available, that they do it when the witnesses are there to testify, that they do it before the documents are thrown out and the records are thrown out, and they do it in the time where people understand what was known and how people should have acted. And that's why we have statutes of limitations. Now, most states, as Maryland has, has said in, in childhood sexual abuse cases, victims need more time. And at least 40 states have enacted specific statutes of limitations for childhood sexual abuse that are significantly longer than the three years you'd have ordinarily from adulthood. You increased it here to seven years and then to 20 years. So that's where we are today. And legislatures have taken that approach and they've done it prospectively for the most part and they've done it with a finite period of time. There are exceptions. Now, there are some states that have taken an approach similar to this bill and you might feel like that is the way that states are going today, but there are only, and most of those states have significant limitations on what types of claims are revived. Putting that aside, the reason most states have not taken that approach, well, it's twofold. The first of the public policy reasons that I've already discussed with you today, the other constitutional concerns. In many of states that have considered the issue, the courts have indicated that reviving a time-barred claim is considered unconstitutional because it impairs a vested right. That's regardless. I know there's been a lot of talk today about the impact of this statute of repose language that is in there. Now, most states don't have that issue, and I haven't seen that come up before. But just purely based on The the statute as it was enacted before and the statute without that language, just on the basis of a statute of limitations, not repose, most courts have said that is interferes with the vested right. And that is a principle that is important to both plaintiffs and to defendants. And I'll just read to you very quickly what the Maryland Court of Appeals itself said in a 2002 opinion. It said, we have consistently held, this is a quote, that the Maryland Constitution ordinarily precludes the legislature from retroactively abolishing an accrued cause of action, thereby depriving the plaintiff of vested right, and from retroactively creating a cause of action or reviving a barred cause of action, thereby violating the vested right of a defendant. So it goes both ways. Just like the legislature would not, say, in a personal injury action, change the statute of limitations retroactively from three years to one year and take away someone's right to sue who is in that two-year area, the same principle applies when applied to defendants. And that's based on the statute of limitations. And in 2011, the Court of Appeals again looked at this issue, again, without the statute of repose issue being there. And it said that extending the statute of limitations from three to seven years could apply retroactively, but only to those claims where the statute of limitations had not yet run. And it said that, and this is another quote, we would be faced with a different situation entirely had the plaintiff's claim been barred under the three-year limitations period. So that's the law as it stands in Maryland today. Now, the statute of repose suggests that language that's in there, that there is even a greater chance that the court would view this as unconstitutional, purely for the reason that a statute of repose is typically considered a substantive part of the law whereas a statute of limitations is more procedural and taking away changing retroactively a substantive law is typically also viewed as unconstitutional as well so in conclusion i would ask you to continue the long standing tradition of always having a statute of limitations a finite one for civil claims and making changes to the law Perspectively, We're very concerned as to how the changes made today will impact toxic tort cases, product liability cases, all kinds of a medical malpractice where things may be discovered in the future and may be viewed differently 30 years from now than where they are today. It's a precedent that's being set today that will impact other kinds of
3: claims.
2: As to the statute of limitations, constitutional claims that you're talking about. So I'm trying to look up states that have no statute of limitations and there's Mm -hmm. some. So for instance, Delaware, Delaware, Delaware has no, are you familiar with that? Yes. I would assume at some point in time, that was not always the case. So some, so at some point in time, the legislature in Delaware moved from some finite statute of limitations to an infinite statute of limitations.
5: That's correct. That's actually roughly 10 or 12 years ago. Yeah.
2: Okay. So in the state of Delaware, not that's our court system, but in the state of Delaware, have they have their courts ruled the way that you are inferring our courts would rule? There's a split in the courts. I would, a majority of the
5: courts have considered the issue have gone the way that I discussed. Delaware goes a different way. They follow what I would consider is the federal approach under the U.S. Constitution. The U.S. Supreme Court has said that retroactive do it for criminal laws, but they can do it for civil laws. Delaware is one of the states that follows that approach, and about a third of states do.
1: Attention, friends. Are you ready to embark on a journey into the unknown this Mother's Day? Prepare to dive into the depths of your family's history with MyLifeInABook.com. Each week, MyLifeInABook.com sends intriguing questions. Uncovering the thrilling tales of your mom's past, and then she can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature. From daring escapes to nail-biting encounters, her life becomes an epic adventure waiting to be explored. This Mother's Day, give the gift of excitement and intrigue with MyLifeInABook.com. It's a thrilling ride through your mom's life that you won't want to miss. I gave this to my mom last year, and let's just say I didn't know my mom as well as I thought I did. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code SHANE at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use code SHANE for 10% off today.
3: Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app.
2: And then that Maryland's court, what's the court, what are the, I, I, you referenced two court of appeals cases. What are the two references for that?
5: The two references are the Doe versus Comcast decision in 2002, 805 A2D 1061, and then the Doe versus Roe case that, that was mentioned earlier today from 2011. There are others, but those decisions indicate that Maryland sides on the greater level of Due process protection that the majority of other states
2: do. There's no case on point in terms of in in terms of this specific issue in Maryland, though, right? Because we when we raised it a couple of years ago, I would assume that there were some number of cases yeah. that were brought because we went from a seven-year statute of limitations to a twenty-year statute limitation. To
5: my knowledge, there is no recent, no modern case that is. When you say on point, I think the quotes in the decisions are on point, but there is no, and I think this is why there's some in the attorney general's prior opinions, well, we don't know for sure, is that the two decisions that I read were dealing with specifically a revived cause of action. They made statements in those decisions, which you might say is that's dicta, but they made very clear statements in both of those decisions indicating what approach Maryland follows, but they were not specifically dealing with a revived
2: cause. Notwithstanding, I'm not sure that the constitutional potential issue is a rationale for not moving forward with a bill like this, right? That's a erudite conversation for one for the court of appeals to have. I'm not sure that's not, I'm not sure that's the reason we should or should not move forward. We certainly aren't going to take the attorney general's opinion for anything other than just one person's opinion on a given day. So my, I mean, I guess you're, I'm not sure how to ask this question. What has been the effect? Of moving there are eleven states you said now have an infinite statute of limitations no, on no, these. No,
5: there are eleven states that have retroactively revived time barred claims. There Got it. are I don't know the exact number that have eliminated a statute of limitation, but it's lower than that. It's I know you mentioned Delaware. I believe Florida and at least one other state have done so prospectively. And there may be another one or two that Think,
2: yeah. When you say prospectively, you're saying for any for actions that occur now, or for individuals who were time barred. So with that, when you say for actions that have, are you talking about somebody who maybe 15 years ago now is years old and their right. statute's about to start rolling? When
5: I talk about it, reviving a time barred claim, only for cases where the statute has already run. In terms of what's constitutional, if a case is already or a claim is in the middle of a statutory statute of limitations, period, and the time hasn't run out. There's no case law that I'm aware of that says you can't extend it for those claims, just like the Maryland Court of Appeals said in the Dover Roe case. If you're, say, four years into the seven-year statute of limitations and you were to change it to 20, it can, that's okay. That's not a constitutional issue. You're
2: saying the concern would be if you were eight years past the Correct. seven-year statute and then we come and make it 20, you're saying the person who you believe that our Court of Appeals, at least language, would say that is a time-barred statute. That's a time-barred claim that can't be revived by legislative action?
5: That's my reading of the cases, yeah. I
2: would assume that those are making their way up, though, right? The, what, court I would decision? assume that that case is making its way up. If our, if our you know, 2017 law has any effect at all in assisting individuals to a window of individuals who could be filing a lawsuit, you believe, without constitutional merit, but I would assume that they're filing those suits right now.
5: Well, the 2017 legislation, as did the seven-year increase, both said very specifically in it that they didn't revive time barred claims. So it's, it's, someone might still make that, but I don't think that they're going to have much of a basis in the law for pushing that. All
2: right. My last question is, as to this issue that Delegate Wilson was talking about, which is the statute proposed, that's a construction. I vaguely remember it something from years ago when there was a bill about statute of repose for construction cases. I've never heard and I'm a plaintiff's lawyer, mm-hmm. I've never heard that terminology used yeah. in personal injury cases. Are you, Are you aware of any where yeah. the statute of repose is used in just personal in injury? one
5: area and the witness who was up here and on the prior panel had it exactly right in my experience, which is you see statutes of repose most often in the construction defect claims, you see them very often in product liability claims, which are personal injury cases, but you see them very often in pro- where the time period for bringing a claim will run from the sale of a product for 10 years, 10 years is the year, 10 or 12 years, probably about, I want to say a third of states have a statute of for product liability actions. And then you see them very occasionally in medical malpractice where it will run X amount of years from the treatment rather than from the injury if it's discovered. But those are relatively
2: small number of states that I'm aware of. Strange law. I don't remember it at all from law school, quite frankly, but like, it's a strange law to say that even in construction, if you think about it, right, you're, you're going to disagree with what I'm about to say, but from the Tort Reform Coalition, but just hear it anyway, like, it's some guy gets a house falls on him because of some defect that somebody did something wrong. I don't know if it's 30 years ago, the guy did something wrong. But what does that matter really to the guy who had the house fall on him? And somehow the statute of repose protects that, that individual? I personally, I've not dealt with the statute of repose in the
5: construction field. I have dealt with in product liability actions. And the policy underlying it there is that after a product may be sold and it's out there for an infinite potential amount of time, whether it's a refrigerator or whatever, it might be a car. But after some number of years has passed, 12, 15, 10 years, there's just a understanding that at that point in time, if something goes wrong with it, rather than it being some kind of defect that happened at the time of the sale, it is understood that is most likely because of the wear and tear and some other problem or misuse or something else and
2: so we don't want to have that litigation in so the so that I'm glad you put it that way and I'm not sure I necessarily think that's rapidly fair either but putting that aside that seems wholly inapplicable to what we're talking about here i'm just suggesting i just in terms of i don't know how these things get constructed or, or all the rest but that does seem that i'm not sure that there would be parallel kind of way to think about that in this i, I get your conversation about statute of limitations and, that,
5: and that's is, why i focused on that i think that of limitations.
2: that's a fair although i'm not sure i necessarily agree or think that our court of appeals would agree but that's not for us to say that's just two litigants going at it in front of the court and that's fine but as far as the statute of repose i just i can't for the life of me think that there's an applicability in this realm that makes any sense
5: Would you agree with that? I can't speak to that issue. I don't know the, as apparently the sponsor didn't know, how that ended up in the bill or where it came from or what it looks like. I could understand what the intent of it was, but I was not
2: part of that. And regardless of intent, I'm just not sure that it has any applicability. I just, I can't, you know, I'm not sure you can just stick those words into any particular Mm -hmm. bill and say you have a vested. I've never seen that before. And I'm just. I mean, you, I you represent the national, so I'm just well, I'll, wondering.
5: I'll tell you, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it either. Okay. Yeah. But that's why I focused on the statute of limitations. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough.
2: Anyone else? No? Let's one, man. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for your testimony. That does a testimony on House Bill 687.
1: House Bill 687, the Hidden Predator Act of 2019. Was voted out of the House of Delegates 135 to 3, which allowed it to proceed to the Senate Judicial Proceedings Committee. The bill failed to move forward when the committee deadlocked at 5 to 5. In a recent interview with bill sponsor C.T. Wilson, he was asked if he would introduce the bill again next year. He said, Of course, I'll probably try again because they deserve it. These folks deserve to know that somebody's trying to fight for them. I want these predators to be terrified, looking over their shoulder for the rest of their lives. For the destruction they caused, I want them to be nervous as hell that this bill might pass one day.